I want to pray over us here as we hear the word preached, that you would enliven us, that you would ready our hearts and ready our minds and ready our ears, uh, that the weariness that might grab us, that the struggles that we might have would not keep us from hearing your word, being moved by your spirit, and, to, but, and, and glorifying you more and more. Lord, move in us. We pray it this morning. We pray you bring glory to the Saviour. Amen. Um, we're going on, as, as you're probably aware by now, in our series in 1 Corinthians, um, which we've, we've dubbed 1 Corinthians, Becoming Who We Are. Got that right, right? Good. Um, and, and, and the reason for that is that this book shows us all about all of these ways that the gospel calls us into our identity in Christ. It starts out even with, with Paul saying, you are God's holy people, be, be saints. You know, you are the saints, be the saints. What he means is, you're holy, you're holy because God has set you apart as holy, be who you are now. And so this series is about stepping into our identity in Christ. Uh, and we're actually in a, in a section now uh, of the book that started back at the beginning of chapter 11. Uh, we've mentioned this already. Um, Paul is addressing the gathered life of the body of the church. He's essentially addressing what we do here on a Sunday morning. Um, he's spoken to how the people of God dress, emphasising the need not to bring pride stat and status into the church, not to be grabbing for status in a worldly way in the people of God, and not to conform to the ways that the world rejects the creational order of God in marriage and gender. He's spoken to the way that we are practicing the Lord's table, which we just came to now, uh, where, uh, you know, and really that, that came down to a very similar principle to that one about, about the head coverings, right? It came down to the issue that pride and status grabbing are not welcome in the people of God. We're not meant to divide along the lines of the world. I loved having Jake here to speak to us from that. I don't know about you, you know. It just makes you a little bit jealous for another church's preacher, maybe. But um, yeah, he's good. Um, we are not to divide along the lines of the world. We are to be united as one in Christ, like he prayed for us, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. And now we get to chapter 12, and... and we're still in this section of issues to, uh, about the gathered church, but this section, this, this situation that he's going to address now goes from 12 through to the end of 14, and it all addresses one issue in the gathered life of the church. Although uh, for the size and for the weight of what's covered, you may be relieved to know we're going to take four weeks going across these, four chap these three chapters, 12, 13, 14. But the issue here is fundamentally similar to the last two. Pride is dividing the church. Particularly in the way that they were using the gifts that the Spirit had given to the church, pride was dividing the church. Now, so here's the situation. God gives gifts to his church. And in Corinth, they had a great, a great variety of gifts had been given to them. Uh, these amazing things, you know. And, 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 and the gifts that Paul talks about in this passage are varied and many. You know, we, we, we tend to come to this passage and we go, tongues and prophecy. And, you know, and they, they are in focus, don't get me wrong. And, and you know, maybe if you, if, if you want gifts of healings. Um, and, and, but, you know, he talks about helping. 
as a gift of the Spirit. He talks about administration as a gift of the Spirit. Now, I'm jumping the gun on something I've got written in here, but I just can't help it. I am so grateful for the fact that God gifts his church with administrative people because I'm really not one of them. Anyway, but these gifts, you know, we don't want to make the same mistake as them. These gifts, they were elevating some of the gifts above the others and going, you know, these are the important ones. These are the ones that everyone should have. We should all be this way. Now, what that means, that we're looking at this part of the Bible today, what that means is that we're entering one of the most controversial sections of Scripture, especially with regard to the gathered life of the church. There, are, there is an enormous range of positions and opinions, both on how and if many of the gifts should be practised Today, in fact, I'd, I'd go further than that. Um, you know, you, you can kind of say that about almost anything. You can find someone with an opinion about everything. But, but probably within this congregation right here, right now, we have a wide variety of opinion uh, on, on how or if the gift should be practised today. Some, some of us here, I would, I would, in fact, I don't have to wager it, because it's good because, you know, gambling. But, um, but I would say some of us here have spent time in our lives in churches where the idea that a person could speak in a tongue, you know, aside from just speaking English, uh, speak in tongues or, or have a prophetic message would have been considered impossible, maybe even a sign of being mentally unhinged. Where, where there is the assumed agreement that the Spirit does not do these kinds of things today, and it's kind of considered a, a godly thing to think that way. Some of us, likewise, will have spent time in churches where, which were exactly the opposite, right? Where these things were the be-all and end-all of faith. Where these things were not just considered possible, but they were considered, they were encouraged, they were even considered necessary, that specific marks, specific gifts were considered a mark of genuine faith. Where there is an assumed agreement that the Spirit empowers these kinds of things today and that it is a godly thing to think so. I think um, the majority of us here have been in uh, probably the most common, maybe the most problematic type of church when it comes to this, uh, which is that, um, maybe not the most problematic, that's probably too harsh to us, but, but you know, we're. You might describe it as, as being in the shrug position. You know, the, nah. the, the, you know, if push came to shove, maybe you'd say, you know what, um, I think the Bible says that these things are meant to continue today, um, but functionally we've never desired them or expected them to be present, never prayed for them in our own lives. You know, that, that seems a bit odd to us. And so, you know, we, um, if, if you want, I don't tend to always use the big long words, but like the two that people cast here are continuation and cessation, right? So you're either a continuationist who believes that the gifts continue, or you might guess the cessationist believes that the gifts have ceased. Um, and, you know, maybe we are, majority of us have, have lived in churches where we are theologically continuationist and functionally cessationist. Do you know what I mean? You with me here? Um, you know, we've got to acknowledge there is actual complexity here. There's, not, there's a reason why there are so many differences. And there's a reason why Paul takes 
17 verses to speak to the way that we practice communion, which gets a lot of airtime in the church, doesn't it? But he takes 84 verses to speak to the way that they were practicing the gifts. It requires nuance. It requires close examination, and it can't be dealt with well in a one-liner. But by the same measure, the fact that Paul takes these three chapters, these 84 verses, to address this one situation in this very situational letter, as we know, should tell us not to skip over this. This is important. This is weighty. This warrants addressing for us. In this letter that calls us to be who we are in the gospel, to experience the transforming power of the message of the cross, there is powerful and important truth for us here on how we are to live as a people. And we ignore it at our own peril, right? Now, having said all that, I want to say that there is actually simple, even clear truth here. There is a simple and clear message that comes to us from these chapters of the Bible. And although there is room for difference in some of the details, and we will weigh in on some of that because the Bible weighs in on some of that, the main message of this chapter and this section is quite quite clear. And so focusing in on this chapter, we're going to focus in on two points that it gives us, two truths, really, that that build on each other. They're, They're one truth in two parts that we get from 1 Corinthians 12. And, and, and really, what this chapter gives us is the why. Why does God give gifts to the church? It tells us a lot of other stuff, but the focus of it is on the why. Why does he give us the gifts? And it's so important to see why, because every misuse of the gifts, including that of the Corinthians, but also like every misuse today, I would say, roots down in a misunderstanding of why they have been given to us. And the first of our two answers to that question of why comes to us in the opening verses of this chapter. Paul opens with a a funny little paragraph here, doesn't he? If you haven't already opened a Bible, open it up. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pile of them on a chair at the back there. He starts with this funny little paragraph. He says... He's going to answer their questions about the gifts, doesn't he? Like he says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so we'd expect him to say something about the gifts next, right? Um, But then he seems to kind of divert. He says, you know that when you were pagans, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, why on earth does he bring that up? And like, I want to posit, you can't understand Paul's approach to the spiritual gifts unless you understand those words there, which is why we're going to focus in on them more heavily than any others in this chapter. Wouldn't it fit more naturally if he just went to verse 4? You know, if he went, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit doesn't that feel natural doesn't that feel nice clean even but 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 he doesn't and i want to suggest this is the most important thing that we learn in this in these three chapters is in these first few verses because these give us the root answer to the why question 
to the question of what the gifts are given for. And Paul's logic here is something like this. Before you worshipped God, you worshipped mute things. He says mute idols. And they did. They worshipped mute idols. They were literally lumps of wood formed into things. But, but that's true for all of us, right? We worshipped things that were created, not the creator. Things that couldn't speak to us. You know, even, even if you worshipped your TV, it only spoke the words that someone else was speaking through it. It's still just a lump. But the Holy Spirit, he says, the God we worship now, who is in us now, he speaks. And through us, his purpose is to communicate one message. Jesus Christ is Lord. This is the first answer to the question, right, of why the gifts are given. And this will always be true of every gift that the Spirit gives from administration through to prophecy, right? The gifts are always given so that the church might better declare, display, and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I'll say that again. The, the gifts are given, always given, so that the church might better declare, display, and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Whether that gift is speaking in tongues, or administration, or helping, you know, all of which Paul lists as spiritual gifts, those gifts are given for this reason, for us to better declare, display, and submit to the Lordship of Jesus. He's not just giving us a litmus test there for Christianity. Uh, he's, he's not just saying... You know what, if you want to know someone, you know, we don't have the eyes of the Spirit. We can't tell if someone's a Christian, except if you ask them to say, Jesus is Lord, and they go, Jesus is lunch, then you know that they're a fake, right? You know, they tried, but they, I should pause on the L a bit longer. But anyway, um, no, no, he's giving us actually what the Bible's already given us. What, in fact, it's funny, Jake talk, took us to John 17 last week. Look at John 16. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples on that same night, just a little bit earlier, he explained the mission of the Holy Spirit to the disciples. What did he say? He says this. He says, he will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. What does the Spirit do in this world? The Spirit glorifies Christ. The Spirit leads the church to display, declare, and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, the Spirit is God. And as such, he deserves all glory himself. But in his humility, he is sent by the Father into the world but to glorify the Son. To make much of Jesus. And so it shouldn't surprise us that the spiritual gifts are given to the church to glorify Jesus. And, th and that's why for the remainder of these first 11 verses of the chapter, Paul keeps just hitting this same point again and again and again. I won't read all these out to you, but it's all from the same spirit. He keeps saying it. You know, maybe I'll, <laughs> I will give you a sampling. Look at this. He goes... Um, there are varieties of gifts, same spirit. There are varieties of service, same Lord. You know, 
For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit. Do you see the point? Like, do you see what he's saying again and again and again and again and again here? He keeps saying it. It's all from the same Spirit. And the reason he says that, the point is that the Spirit is the same Spirit and the one Spirit has one purpose that he's fulfilling, to make much of Jesus. And all of the gifts are given by this one Spirit for this one purpose, to make much of Jesus. Now, we'll see some more about this today, and, and even more so as we step into these coming weeks, um, what it means to, to see that in action. But, but just pause with me there, because this is a huge problem in the church today, isn't it? So often... We treat the gifts of the Spirit, I mean, we treat the Holy Spirit like he's a battery. We treat the remarkable gifts, which were such a concern for the Corinthians, so often we see them practiced in ways that don't declare, they don't display, they don't lead us to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. They don't make much of Jesus. I, I know there are people here who, who've lived through this, who've experienced this. So often, the Spirit is treated as this battery for a light show, for an impressive experience, when His purpose in giving the gifts isn't to give us a really satisfying spiritual experience. That isn't the end point. He may do that. It is to make much of Jesus Christ. He leads people to speak in tongues and to interpret tongues and to have a word of knowledge and to have a prophetic word, and to administrate well. He provides healings all for the purpose of making much of Jesus. Now, I, I increasingly believe that the main reason that many Christians reject many of the gifts is because they see them practiced wrongly. Uh, in many ways, in many ways that don't make much of Jesus. Uh, that that treat the spirit like a battery. And they think to themselves, even unconsciously, not necessarily in exactly these words, if this is how these things are done, aren't we better off without them? Um, thing is, they, they're given for our good, though. There's this thing that Christians do. Actually, people do this, but Christians seem to have carried this into the church quite well, which is that there's, there's often a centre position where we're meant to be, and we'll see someone whose pendulum has swung over this way, and we'll go, well, I'm not, not doing that, and we, we go the other side, you know? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm part of a clock. Okay. But the gifts are given not to ignore Christ and just focus on the gift and not to be rejected. Can't twist my arm that way very well. Should go like this. Um, not to be rejected because we see them used wrongly. They're given to glorify Christ. They're given so that we might display, declare and submit to the Lordship of Jesus better. You know, they're given to empower the mission of the church, do you see, if that's the case. They're not just given for us to make much of Jesus to each other, 
but so that we might display him more clearly to the world around us that needs to see him. This really comes back to the same thing that we see over and over and over again in the Bible and which the church seems to have at large lost. In Christ, you you have a new identity as a missionary child of God. If you believed in Jesus, um, we, we need to kick this badly, church. This idea that there are missionaries and Christians. There are Christian missionaries and the rest of the Christians. That's just not the way the Bible approaches it. You are sent into this world to show through acts of love and grace, to declare through the message of the crucified, risen and reigning, returning Jesus, that he is Lord and to call people in. You have a missionary identity in him. It's not just the job of those employed to do it. It's not just the job of your pastor. Uh, it, It is a fundamental part of the identity of who you are as a Christian is that the Spirit calls you into the mission of God. And the Spirit gives gifts to empower that mission. He is... The mission he sent you on, he equips you for. He gives gifts not just individually, but to the church. Remember, this is a gathered thing Paul's talking about here. So that the world might see who Jesus is and come to believe through their declaration of the gospel. Now, I said there were two answers to the question, right? The why question in this chapter, and the second one simply builds on to the first. The first one, just to remind you, was that the gifts are given, always given, to the church so that we might better declare, display, and submit to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. The second is that the gifts are always given for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. They're always given to build up those people who are around you right now. The remainder of the chapter is Paul explaining that these gifts are meant to work out in the body of the church, not just individually. They're not just for you. And that builds on that first answer because one of the primary ways that the Spirit makes much of Jesus, one of the primary ways that he leads us to declare, display, and submit to the Lordship of Jesus is by leading us to live in love for one another and so to bless each other with the things that God has given us. This isn't just the internal element of the equation, right? It's not uh, that externally we are equipped as missionaries and internally we are given love for one another and gifts to express that love for one another. No, Jesus said it. He said, thou know you are my disciples by your love for one another. The love of the church is always missional. You use your use of your gifts to bless the local body the church that you belong to in in serving, in making disciples, in whatever way you are led, is a part of your identity as a missionary child of God. Now, this is important. This is important. You might read this, and there's a realistic chance that you will look at this talk about tongues and prophecy and... And maybe even like, you know, to me, something like administration looks just as unrealistic. But um, for me, but you, and you might think, yeah, but he hasn't given me a gift. Or, or at least not an important gift. Look at me right now. If, 
you're a believer in Jesus, that is, is and must be categorically untrue. He gifts his people and he does so intentionally. And to think that he hasn't gifted you is not to say that you're not special. You're not special, I'm sorry, but you know, we're not that special. He gives us specialness. It's a gift. And so it is to say that God can't do it, I suppose, if he said that he's going to do it and you say, well, he doesn't do it for me. Like, doesn't mean you don't struggle to, to figure it out, to know what your gifting is. But he does a gift all of his people for the good of his church. It's important that we see that. It's important that we believe that. If you trust in Jesus, then you are called into the body of the church and you are equipped to be a part of that body. The Spirit has and is equipping you with gifts. And that's important for you because, because that's you stepping into who you are in Jesus. That's you living in the identity of the gospel. That's also important for your church. Paul spends the remaining verses pointing this out. The body won't function properly without all of the parts. I want to say that, I want to be clear. I'm not saying without every single gift. There's been plenty of churches that have functioned properly where God just doesn't give every single gift to every single church. He has an endless treasure trove of gifts. But without every single gift that he has given the local church, without every single gift that he's given this church, we won't be fully who we're meant to be as a body. You know, like a, like a body made up entirely of eyes, right? Now, there's, there's actually descriptions of that, like in like Revelation and stuff, and you look at it and you go, oh, and, and, and yet, yet Paul says it here, right? It doesn't work, does it? Like if the whole body was an eye, I think the kids have a colouring in sheet actually today. There's, there was a couple of them, but one of them had like, um, try to use one of your body parts to find this bit of the Bible and not the rest. And it was... And had like a picture of a disconnected eye. Now that I think about it, that's that's not that child safe. But anyway, um, but like it don't work, right? Like we can't exist as just one thing. We can't elevate one thing above all the others. Like a body that rejects its feet. It doesn't work if we don't embrace all of the gifts that God is giving to us. Newsflash, you fall over. That's what happens when you don't have feet, suddenly. Now remember, the gifts that Paul is talking about are broader than healing tongues and prophecy, right? He mentions those, but he also talks about teaching as a gift. He talks about helping as a gift. Do you realise you can be a gifted helper? That that is not just something that you're like, yeah, I'm alright at helping people, but like the Spirit can be equipping you to help and that that can be a powerful thing within the body of Christ and a powerful thing as a, in, as a part of the mission of the church is just to help. To come alongside someone and help them. It doesn't release the rest of us from having to help each other, by the way. 
We're all called to help, but some are specially equipped, some are specially gifted as helpers to lead in helping and to lead others to help as well. To, to, they're, they're extra good at it. You know, it's just like evangelism, right? Like, none of us believe, none of us should believe that, that, that we're not called to evangelise, and yet the Bible says that some are called as evangelists. It doesn't mean that everyone else is off the hook. It means that they're given to the church to equip the people of God as evangelists, to evangelise as a body. About this, I mean, I've said this already, but you can be a gifted administrator. How crazy is that? Like, like, we think of the spiritual gifts and we think of someone who's like putting a prophetic word over Mark over here, but, but, and, and yet God puts on an equal plane with that what Deb does. If, if you want to see what a spiritual gifting looks like, Deb Anderson. When I call her up and say, Deb, I just don't understand. What, what do the numbers mean, Deb? <laughs> and she explains it because she's gifted. And she does it, I believe, Deb, hope this is right, I believe she does it patiently and kindly because she believes it's a part of the mission that God has put her on to express her gifts as a part of the church. Sorry, Deb, that wasn't written in. That's why I didn't ask you about that beforehand. Church, this is so important. We, are, we, need, to, we need to be a people. Let me encourage you, do this. Set aside time for this this week. Pray over your giftings. Seek them out. Ask God and ask people around you, how do you see gifting in me? Like People who are close to you say, because it can be hard to see in yourself. We're not very good at assessing ourselves. Um, you know, there's, I've, I've been approached before by people who go, you know, um, funnily enough, this is usually by someone who I've never met who's just walked into a church and gone, I have a, a prophetic gifting and a message for this church. And, and in that situation, I would go, hey, I'd, I'd love to talk to you about that and for us to weigh that as a church, but, but you're not standing in front of the church today right now. Um, <laughs> that's, that's not happening. I've met people who, who believe they're gifted teachers, but, but, but that actually needs to be weighed. That needs to be looked at. But we do need to seek out what our giftings are. This is an important thing. This is something God gives this church, and we ignore it. We ignore any one of these things at our own peril. Church, we want to make much of Jesus, don't we? Is that not what we're here for? Is that not why we're called Gospel Church? Right? We're not here about us. We're not here for our kingdom. We're here for him. And we are impeded in doing that. We're held back in doing that if some people just bench warm and don't seek to express the giftings that God has given them in the church. I want to finish today um, with, with a word on just a few of Paul's last words there. And this is, just, this is a bit of a left fielder, but it's so important. Um, and, and I think there's some here that it will probably speak to. Um, Paul's last words there, and we're going to return to this because he returns to it in chapter 14. Um, Paul says this, or something very close to this, uh, a few times in these chapters. Um, he gives us a command that is to be followed. If you're a genuine follower of Jesus, it should not come as a surprise that uh, we, you do yourself no favours if you ignore the commands of God, Right? 
Like you put it in the do not murder category and it's obvious. But, but, but like in the whole Bible, when, when the Bible calls us to obey and we ignore that, we, we harm ourselves. We impede our formation as followers of Jesus when we refuse to obey any of the commands of the Bible. And yet there are so many Christians and so many churches that act like this command isn't here. But it is. Now, I've got to handle this with grace because I have beloved brothers and sisters who I disagree with around some issues on the gifts. But I just see no other biblically faithful way to carry this in my reading of the Bible. Many, many Christians will say, many churches, church leaders will say that the gifts are not for today. Now, I've already said where I think some of that is coming from. And they don't mean the gifts, right? No one believes that administration has passed away. No one. Imagine the chaos, right? But many believe that tongues, healings, and prophecy. Let's let's be specific. Um, And and I want to specify even closer, this is New Testament prophecy that's being spoken of. It it can be misinterpreted by the prophet that is delivering it. Uh, We see that in the book of Acts, actually. Uh, This is not on on a par with the authority of Scripture and with the authority of the Old Testament prophet, even. But many believe that these gifts have passed away. The argument usually goes like, they were given for the early church, and they kind of, they ceased around the close of the canon of Scripture, and now we've got, we've got this thing, so we don't need tongues, we don't need prophecy, we don't need healings. They were miraculous displays as a stopgap. And that's, I love the argument, yeah, it's a beautiful argument, and, and, and it's well and good, but the big issue you have to deal with is that the Bible commands us to desire the gifts. Paul says, earnestly desire the higher gifts, there at the end of chapter 12. And you might look around and see some of the ways that the gifts are practiced in the church today and have some doubts about that. We're going to talk more about that in the coming week. Um, but let's, let's summarise and say you could be right about that, right? You, you may look at misuses of the gifts and, and, and be right that they are misuses of the gifts. That's common. But because someone else fails to follow the commands of God rightly doesn't mean that you can discard the, promises, uh, the commands of God, Right? Like that's, that's obvious when we put it like that, right? And we are commanded, earnestly desire the higher gifts. And we might say, well, well, come on, John, what are the higher gifts? But the problem is that in chapter 14, he's just going to say it more outright. He's going to say, earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. All of them. Doesn't mean you will have all of them in your life. Not everyone's an I, not everyone's a nose. But desire them. It doesn't even mean that every church will receive every gift. We have to say that a large number of the most powerful gospel movements that have ever happened in history have happened in the absence of most of the really impressive-looking gifts, right? Think, think, think John Wesley. Think Charles Spurgeon, right? These things didn't happen often, with massive displays of the gifts. Some of the gifts. But we're still commanded to desire them. To hope, to pray that God 
will glorify Jesus and build up his church by giving me, giving us, these gifts. So I just want to, I just want to close on this encouragement here. These are a thing that God gives for the good of his church, which we're commanded to desire. Pray that the Spirit would provide these gifts here. It's a good thing to pray, in case you've ever wondered. Pray that he does, and that Jesus would be made much of here at Gospel Church. Pray that he would provide them for you. Pray for prophetic words. Pray for tongues. I know there's at least one or two people who are going to come to me afterwards and be like, I don't think I agree with that. But you have to deal with the fact that he commands us to do it. He doesn't just command us to do it because we want to see a light show. He commands us to do it because he wants Jesus to be glorified in the church. Isn't that what we want? We want Jesus to be made much of here. So would you pray with me now? Jesus, we thank you for your word. Every word of it is good. Every word is given for our good. We thank you that you equip your church, as your word tells us, for the glory of your name. We thank you that everything you provide is given to lead us to honour Jesus. And Lord, we want that as a church. We thank you that every gift you give is given for the good of one another. We want that as a church. We want to be a church that displays the likeness of our God, that shows his goodness, and that declares in our actions and our words the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Lord, we pray that you would gift us. I pray for my brothers and sisters here and for myself also, that you would be bringing out our giftings, You would be showing us the ways that you have provided. You would open us up to that, that we would be more fully a display of your gospel because we are more fully stepping into the ways that you equip us to honour Jesus. Jesus, be honoured here in the expression of the gifts. We pray it in Jesus' glorious name. Amen.